Educate, the alternative educational experience. You know when you watch something online or then read an article and then suddenly have that moment of, oh dear, I hadn't really ever thought of that like that. Oh, that would have been useful to have known. Well, in comes Educate. Educate offers up the conversations that we really need to hear. It embraces differing perspectives and lived experiences, all with the view to inform public discourse. So, who's my teacher this week then? Isabel Stewart, or as she is to me, is one of the most intelligent and caring women that I'm lucky to have as a solid pillar in my life. So I first met Izzy in the second week of university in an introductory drama seminar, and I was determined to befriend her as soon as I saw her. Our friendship was sealed by a pub quiz and then a trip to the theatre. And then from then on, I clearly realise now that along with my other amazing friends, she was one of the best befriending choices that I ever managed to make. Fast forward to four years later, at the humble age of 22, Izzy smashes her degree, gets a first, then smashes her master's, gets a distinction, and now is doing a fully funded PhD in feminist theatre. And to be honest, I couldn't be more proud of her. In this episode of Educate, I'm going to be chatting with Izzy about feminism, learn about intersectionality, and actually try to debunk the feminist confusion that exists in our everyday lives. Izzy Stewart, welcome to Educate! Thank you so much for having me on. I feel How very honoured. I just remember you befriending me. You were so hungover in that class. Was I? Yeah. How hungover? <laughs> like literally head on head on desk. And we just made <laughs> eye contact like, kill me now. I knew I had found a fellow friend, quite <laughs> frankly. Um, so to anyone listening, ever since I coined this concept of making a podcast... I knew that I really wanted to rope Izzy into doing it, so I'm quite chuffed that she's agreed. Um, So I'm just going to hand over to Izzy, who's going to be the educator of this lovely lesson. So I'm going to talk about feminism, which is such a large movement, ideology and topic, it'd be impossible to cover the whole thing in a 40-minute podcast. Okay. Um, Can I ask, before we move forward... Yes. If I was an alien that just landed, crash-landed on this earth... And I could speak English. What is feminism? Feminism is the fight for equality of the sexes, put very simply. Okay. Feminism essentially is the a person who believes in the social, political and economic equality of the sexes, mm-hmm. which I think if most people just took it as that statement, which not most people, or some people would hopefully agree with. <laughs> yeah. Um, we can all hope. Yes. That's essentially it. It's that simple. Um, Apparently not for a lot of people. Not for a lot of people. <laughs> and there are very there are many different strands that are all extremely important to the movement. But I think that's what we've forgotten. Okay. As all of these different kind of different ways of thinking and different groups of people kind of claiming the world as their own. There's obviously going to be some really worthwhile complications of it. Yeah. That are really complex and important, and some stereotypes that have gone out of control that we're man-hating and sure you know I feel that there is definitely a lot of stigmatization yeah I hope I've said that right around feminism because I'm sure we're all aware of the classic debate when you're sat around a dinner table or you're sat anywhere and someone goes oh she's a feminist yeah well I think there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of ruffling up of people's feathers when you even say that you're aligned to any kind of particular group yeah. To say something like I'm a feminist is quite a bold 
statement. I think it's really one that fills me with a lot of pride and yeah, I kind of really love self-identifying with that. But I think for a lot of people it's disarming and it's mm-hmm. and especially if you're a man or if you're someone who doesn't understand exactly what the word means, it can feel quite attacking. Yeah. And that's why people get on the wrong foot with it, I think. Oh god. But if you have that just simple definition that it's you just want equality for the sexes. Equality for the sexes. I'm down with that. You're the educator on this episode. What are you going to teach me today, my sweet prince? My sweet princess. Sweet princess. <laughs> um, so we can talk a bit about what it means to be a feminist today in this world where there's been a resurgence of feminism across kind of popular lines. Okay. You know, feminists should all wear pink is a number one bestseller. Yes, it is. And I do have it. Yes. Invisible women... There's lots of other different titles that are like, you know, there's a real kind of burst in feminist literature and it's kind of burst through into the mainstream. Yeah. And I think that's a really important time and also a difficult time in thinking about what that means for the movement. Okay. In terms of it being radical, it being commercial and how we kind of navigate that. Um, and also this term intersectional. Because um, so you see that on t-shirts all yes. the time. It's not feminist if it's not intersectional. Which is in some ways a great saying but today I'm going to teach you about where that word originally came from and how I think it's really important to remember its root. These days the word intersectional has sometimes been used as a kind of buzzword for things like diversity, inclusion. Okay. And or like kind of a jumbling up of identities. Sure. And that's not actually what the word means in its original form. Okay. So basically there's a black female scholar called Kimberly Crenshaw. Okay. And she coined the term in 1989 in a law essay. Okay. So she was like a legal scholar. Okay. And... Big up Kimberly. Yes, massively. (laughs) And basically her argument was that black women in the legal and justice system, their stories were being erased, ignored and dismissed in society. Okay. Because the feminists were thinking about all the white women... Sure. And the civil rights movement were thinking about all the black men. Okay, right. So there wasn't a space for black women in either movement. Okay. So when it came to things like trials and legal proceedings, Mm -hmm. they couldn't go to the feminists who had no vocabulary to deal with the experiences, the lived experiences of black women. Because that was white feminists. Yeah, and they just didn't have the concept that it would be any different. Okay. This was in 1989. Sure. Um, And they couldn't go to the civil rights movement because... They were focused on black men and obviously all of the really horrible ordeals they were going through in the criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. So it meant that black women and the specificity of black women were getting erased in these conversations. Okay, that makes sense. And what's really interesting if you think about, so if you think about intersectionality as being the combination, the intersection of race and gender in the yep. black woman. Okay. The fact that we don't really know who Kimberly Crenshaw is is kind of proving that erasure of black women. Aha. She came up with the term, and yet it's kind of been co-opted as a general statement. Right. So that's why I think it's really important to remember that she was actually the woman that came up with this concept in the first place. Ah, and we don't see any of those references on T-shirts. Or... None of the references on T-shirts. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that... Mo- I'm, actually, I'm certain that like all feminist scholars would know where this word yeah. derived from. But I just think it's interesting because there's a lot of things that are claiming to be intersectional statements or intersectional something yeah. that actually maybe just means that you're being inclusive or you're being diverse. Sure. And actually, I mean, she she says, and a lot of 
um, feminist writers say the word has taken on a life of its own, like from her original writing. And that's that's fine. Um, but I think it's just important to remember um, that it is about that specificity of black women and they face such a particular struggle. Yeah, It is about the intersection of two identities and basically saying how that makes a very particular kind of struggle. Okay. If you're a queer person and you're a woman, that gives you a particular struggle. Okay. Whether it be an intersectional struggle is probably up for debate because it's not race and gender. Okay. Um, okay. But I say the the it's about race and gender, really. And I think that's what we've got to think about in terms of intersectionality. For example, I think a lot of... Say if I was at an academic conference talking about intersectional feminism and it was full of white women... Yeah. That would just be a completely wrong way of doing it. Sure. And actually there's a really... They, one of the initial examples examples of this was Audre Lorde, who is one of my absolute feminist idols and icons. Um, such a powerful feminist writer, uh, 60s and 70s. And she kind of went to one of these conferences and just saw they were speaking about racism with absolutely no... She was the only black... Probably the only black person there, definitely the only black woman. Um, and she said, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. So you can't... Using the systems of oppression to break down systems of oppression. You can't have a bunch of white women with no other lived experiences of racism talking about racism and sexism. Sure, because they've got like no authority yeah. to do so. And um, and the thing of intersectionality that I think is really great is that we're kind of opening up feminism to be more than just about we're all women and we're all the same. Yeah. And what Audre Lorde has been was pioneering her whole life was that yes, we're all women. And we all have this certain kind of shared experience that is that can be hugely powerful um, and uniting and can form a kind of sisterhood between women. But that's kind of where our similarities end. Yeah. Um, because no female, apart from her gender, has lived the same experiences. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. And um, and I think that should be celebrated and that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. Because there's very little that I have in common as a middle-class white woman mm-hmm. to a working-class black woman. And I, I think I would never assume that we did have masses in common. Yeah. Um, Scarlett Curtis quotes a really good um, Kimberly Crenshaw analogy that she says that imagine that all the women in the world were kind of locked in a dungeon and you had the white kind of privileged middle-class woman at the top and you had the, you kind of went down in terms of the oppressions on top of each other. Right. And at the bottom you had the most oppressed. Sure. Um, and what feminism had been saying for many years was, okay, we'll just pull the women at the top up first, we'll pull the white women up first, and then everyone else will follow. Right, okay. So we'll have liberation, we'll have female empowerment for the white women, and they'll be the CEOs, and they'll be mm-hmm. um, they'll be the ones that can make the money and that can be in positions of power and can make a difference, and the rest will follow. But that's actually not what happens at all, because it's very rare that the white woman puts her hand down and pulls it less than. So what intersectional feminism is doing is saying that we have to go from the bottom up, you have to pull up the women who are most oppressed first. Yeah. And then everyone else will obviously come up. Yeah, because if you only save the white middle class women, you've still got a dungeon, right? Exactly. And so that's basically what we're saying. It's basically in, and in every conversation that we have about feminism, I think it's really important to say, okay, and what about the most oppressed women in society? Yeah. Because it's all very well saying that we've that feminism is so popular and then if you look in other countries around the world and non-Western countries or even in our own country today with working class women or whatever other 
uh, minority it is, it's always key to have those, yeah, those people at the centre of your argument. That's really well put. I've never heard that analysis mm. ever. It's quite handy. Yeah, really handy. There's so many incredible black women doing the most amazing things right now. Yeah. Like, that I just adore. Any names that come to mind? So Lizzo, I adore her. She's amazing. She's an icon. She is Follow her on Instagram. She's actually so funny, <laughs> as well as being incredibly talented. And her flute account. Her, her own flute has an account. What? I know. A multi-talented queen. Um, and obviously Beyonce. And then Tiari Jones, who wrote An American Marriage, which won the Women's Prize for Fiction. Love that book. What's it about? Um, it's about a young couple, and they've only been married a year, and then her husband gets incarcerated for a crime he didn't commit. It's kind of a classic American story of racial injustice. But it's so, so beautifully written. It's just amazing. Um, and then Bernadine Ivaristo, who just won the Booker Prize, uh, the first ever black woman to win the Booker Prize, uh, for Girl, Woman, Other. Okay. And then, I love theatre, obviously, very much into theatre, so Debbie Tucker Green is an incredible playwright, um, who's just written here for I, which I think was the best play I've seen all year. Wow. And then... Where's, uh, where's that, where was that play? That was at the Royal Court, that's kind of like her house. Oh, that's, um, cool. oh, that's, that's so like, cool yeah it was amazing <laughs> wish the royal court could be my house I know <laughs> she like owns it <laughs> so cool. and then um, Selena, Selena Thompson as well who's one of my favourite performance artists is also really amazing and then Rennie Edo Lodge who wrote Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race which kind of blew open that whole conversation yeah. in a really powerful way and that's just kind of a must read do you think that's just a must read for everyone yeah I think it's just so the evidence, she uses so much evidence to say why racism is still so rife in this country and in the world. Yeah. Um, and it's just so, yeah, it's extremely strong and powerful. But yeah, basically, in kind of leading on from that, I wanted to talk a bit about how to be a better ally as a white woman to, yeah. Yeah, to other minorities in the feminist movement. So firstly, it's just about understanding and being open to accepting your privilege. That's kind of rule 101. Okay. Um... As Audrey Lord said, um, in relation to her interactions in the current 1960s with white feminists, mm-hmm. was that we often just feel so guilty and so, like, attacked that we just are completely unhelpful. Right. And that's not what black women need from us at all. Um, so she said that she uh, is willing to be any woman beyond objectification and beyond guilt. So if we educate ourselves on how the system is tailored to benefit white people and white women more than black women and women of colour, mm-hmm. the better we are at noticing oppression and calling it out. Okay. Um, okay, that makes sense. And also, don't be afraid to call it out. Um, what does calling it out look like? <clears throat> like, how would you navigate that? For example, say you're in a work situation and you hear a comment that is slightly not okay. How do you go forward with that? I think it obviously depends on... Obviously, again, we're all women... Yeah. That doesn't put us in the best position to call it out. Yeah. We're still in a precarious position, especially in the workplace, where we have a lot of stereotypes that could be put on us, like being a drag, ruining everything, ruining the fun, being uptight. Mm-hmm. All of these stereotypes that generally get put on women. Yeah. Um, I'd say call it out in the strongest way that you can. And I don't think people have much place to go if you say, I think that was really racist what you just said, or I think that was sexist. God. And it's all a learning curve. If you said that, you just your tone there, like looking at me. <laughs> oh gosh, I don't want to do anything wrong around you. I doubt I'd ever say it to you. 
think off the back of that, there are so many other questions that can kind of come into this topic in general, um, not just in terms of intersectionality, but I think bringing the debate into just feminism in general as yeah. well, because I think there's a lot of confusion, especially when you speak with not just necessarily male counterparts, but also female counterparts. Yeah. I've met so many women that just don't even want to identify with the term. Yeah. Um, so do you think that feminism has been overcomplicated in today's society? And if you do, why? I think yes and no is the answer to that question. People start thinking about feminism as hating men or about wanting more rights than men. You get some groups of very radical feminists who do agree with those views. You get men who feel it's necessary to start some men's rights activism groups when actually feminism itself is very concerned with ending toxic masculinity, making men's mental health better. All of those issues come under the feminism label, but people think they need separate right. causes to fight that because it's seen as this pro pro-women anti-men movement okay and so further on to that then why has it received now this sort of blurred negative connotations why do you think that that is i think you know it is true that men are the oppressors in this dynamic yeah so there is a feminist critique that has to criticize not individual men necessarily but sometimes Mm -hmm. but the male patriarchy as it stands needs to be dismantled, interrogated and critiqued. Sure. And so when that happens, you can understand why some people might see that as hating all men. Yeah. And often, I mean, especially with the internet, there is this all, hey, I hate all men thing going around. <laughs> yeah. Which can be men taken... Men are trash. Men are trash. Yeah. Which can be taken too seriously or more seriously than it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can understand why people might get quite upset and offended by that. Yeah. So, you know... Um, Florence Given, this has just made me think, you know, this yes. whole, yeah. dump him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, what is it? It's like, I kind of love it just because of what how it's it? like, it's like uh, you shouldn't you, raise you him. You should not raise him. You are not his mother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's not your son. <laughs> is, do you think, because obviously I think you and I can see those Instagrams and we can look at her illustrations <clears> and yeah. see that that's just kind of funny. Uh, but do you think some people might take that too far and see that as quite visually? Definitely. <laughs> I can definitely see how that's possible. Um, so I think that's where the overcomplication and negativity comes from with that. Yeah. And also because there's some types of feminism that are really not very feminist at all. Can and, you give any examples? I mean, anti-trans feminists, these really vagina biology-centric feminists that it does exclude the trans experience. Right. Um, saying that being a feminism is about having female body parts and about being able to have a period or experience these things that biological, biologically born women can have. Right. When actually it's about supporting all minorities, like, across all the whole gender and sex spectrum. Yeah. Um, or just super radical feminists that actually do want... To completely <laughs> to kill, to kill men. <laughs> and um, yeah, things like that. So there is a lot of different viewpoints, and it can be quite a emotionally and politically charged word. But I think if you just remember that statement, um, so the political, social, and economic equality yes, of the sexes. Exactly. Perfect. Well, I wish people would know that. Yes. Ooh. But also the other side of that was that 
the no side of it was that all of these complications are also very important. So um, it listens back to intersectionality. Yeah. So the specific struggles within the feminist movement, the lesbian feminist movement, the working class feminist movement, the black feminist movement, the trans feminist movement are all separate entities that come under this umbrella of feminism. Yeah. And all of those differences are actually really valid and important and maybe shouldn't be simplified as just general feminism. Right. Because it might mean that those voices are not heard as much as they should be. So on a practical level, I'm seeing feminism as an umbrella. An yeah, umbrella that's how, that's how I see it. Yeah. And then I'm seeing like you know, just different, I don't want to say like... Branches or strands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, coming from that and having this overarching term. So going forward on a practical level, who should have the authority to lead that movement in terms of public speaking uh, presence, like visual presence uh, in on the TV, on the radio? Like who, how do those conversations need to happen? Because both of you and I, white middle-class women talking about feminism talking about intersectionality would some people argue that we shouldn't be doing that I'm very aware of that and I think that that is a really important thing to take on board I think it all depends on context like me and you are sat here doing like your first round of podcasts like you know (laughs) we're trying this out we're not saying these opinions based on nothing yeah and it's reaching millions of people mm-hmm. so I think context is important and I think there's also different roles that different people can play in the movement I always say that the minority like the people who the struggle is affecting most should be leading the movement and those voices should be elevated and we should be behind supporting that yeah. running towards that but that's not really how society works and it's often that white women are put at the front on the pedestal that can actually sometimes be quite damaging to um women in more oppressed situations yeah um so I think ideally you would always have the women who are most affected by these issues leading the way and there are so many incredible like strong voices from those groups that aren't being elevated as much as white women because they don't fit into the just the system as what it looks now yeah um so yeah I'd say going forward always listen to those voices who have the lived experience of it being the worst Mm -hmm. um and I, I am definitely getting a bit fed up of only seeing white women having the really big platforms on these issues, whether it's making TV shows or whether it's going to these big conferences. And But also there is a real place where white women can make a difference, and that is in things like, um, say, in protest movements, it's mm-hmm. much easier for white women to get arrested and know that no harm is going to come to them. So there are certain positions where it's easier for women to be at the forefront of these movements and we can play a big role Mm -hmm. in that. So, for example, it's a lot easier for me to get arrested as a white middle class woman, say, if we're going on a women's march or if we're going on um, in America, there's all those women's marches against Trump's comments Mm -hmm. than it is for a black woman or a working class woman to get arrested because of just how the police treat women from ethnic minorities. Which isn't very great, No, it's not at all. And it can potentially be extremely dangerous. So I think that's a position where we can use our privilege to get around the system and use the system to actually make more of a difference. Yeah. Um, but I'd say, yeah, generally, I just it'd be great to hear more underrepresented voices in feminism in general. Great. No, mm. makes a lot of sense. Um, next question. I think we've we've briefly touched on this, mm. but I think to interrogate it further. Why do you think that some people struggle to identify with the feminist label? 
Yeah, so we have kind of touched on this. Um, I think it's gained a lot of particularly negative connotations. Um, it's been seen as a quote-unquote dirty word mm-hmm. um, and something that people want to distance themselves from. So I've already kind of said about how it's, it ruffles feathers to be aligned with a particular group. But also I think from a female perspective, it's interesting to think about why some women are detaching themselves from the word. Yes, because I actually had a chat with someone, mm. I reckon about three weeks ago, and she said... You know, I just don't align with it. Like, what was her reasoning? She just, I think she found it a bit <clears throat> shouty. I think she found it yeah. a bit sort of, uh, I don't think intimidating is the right word, almost annoying, mm-hmm. I think. And uh, yeah, I think that's sort of where she went with it, really. Yeah. And I think that sometimes it can be seen as quite an aggressive position to hold. And but I think a lot of the reason why women don't want to align with it sometimes is it comes from the kind of second wave feminism, which was the 1960s to the 1990s, kind of. And then in the 1990s, you got the kind of third wave feminism, which was all about sexual liberation and we can do what we want with our bodies. We can get married and have kids if we want to. We cannot get married and be single forever and sleep with whoever we want. Mm-hmm. And there was a kind of generalisation that was based on some truth that the older feminists were kind of not approving of this kind of new wave modern feminism okay and uh so yeah I think that might be some of the reasons that this thing of like that we've outgrown the feminist label that it's outdated and that now we're in this kind of new zone of feminism where well there's the illusion that we're fine now that equality has been achieved oh yeah and we don't need it anymore so I think maybe some women might feel like that you know successful women they might be like, I don't need to have this movement. Look how well I'm doing. Yeah. That could be part of it. I think there's a lot of reasons. Um, but really, I think the word feminist just has such a lot of history to it. And mm-hmm. it's not it's not even just a, a like a placid history. It's a history that has been fought and there's been struggle and pain and progress. Yeah. And I think it would be a real shame to abandon it because I think it's something to wear with pride and honour because actually you know, it would just be a real shame to get rid of this word that's kind of meant so much to so many people, going yeah. back right to the suffragettes in West, in kind of Western, that's kind of what we see as kind of the birth of feminism. Yeah. Um, in non-Western way, way earlier. Wow. It's, it's really hard to sort of try and put yourself in someone else's shoes to mm. think, why would I not be a feminist? Yeah. I also think that there is a slight... <clears throat> I reckon some people maybe might think that it's off-putting to men. I know that sounds bad, yeah, yeah, yeah. but in terms of really, like attracting a cool girl, yeah. <laughs> hey, I, I mean, I've got eye rolls. I get eye rolls every time I mention it. Yeah, I think I do too. Oh, here she goes again. Yeah. Oh, oh, look at her. Yeah. Oh, she's bitten <laughs> on that one. But I just enjoy that. I just wear it. Like, yeah, I am. Roll your eyes as much as you like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely a thing. And that, that is all rooted in sexism of trying to compete with other women for men's attention. Yeah. And that's all part of the feminist movement anyway. So, yeah. Try and stop all of that where we can. So, going back to sort of slogan feminism, uh, we hear the word empowerment a lot. Uh, I feel empowered by that. Um mm oh, you know, uh, taking this sort of picture makes me feel empowered or, you know, doing this makes me feel empowered. Um, Sort of from your perspective, what do you think that female empowerment means? 
for me, female empowerment is about choice. It's about freedom over our own lives and our own choices. And it's a celebration of how much we've achieved against the odds. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why it's like some people find empowerment in this, some people find it in this and find it in this. And that's fine because it's all about having that choice mm-hmm. to be able to do that. Um, I think reclaiming is a really important part of it as well. So reclaiming our bodies, voices, minds, sexualities that have kind of been stripped from us, dismissed or neglected in wider society. Mm-hmm. Um, so the European Institute for Gender Equality defines female empowerment as the process by which women gain power and control over their own lives and acquire the ability to make strategic choices. Um, and I think it comes out of a space where women can notice and act upon the opportunities that we have. Yeah. Um, and we can have our lives that are truly our own. Do you think that the term empowerment has been hijacked through consumerism? You know, yes. you know when you see, you know, the classic advert of like, oh yes. God, my period, woo, I'm feeling empowered. You, yeah. you know that type of... Empowered for whom and... And for what purpose? Yeah. And I think it, you know, you can say anything's empowering. <laughs> so I think, yeah, it wouldn't be my first choice of word yeah. <laughs> in in these discussions, really, because I do think it has become an easy way to market and, and sell a lot of things. Yeah, it, I think it's a buzzword. It's right? a buzzword, and it's also completely subjective to what different people are empowered by. You know, some people might be empowered by taking yourself in a bikini, other people might be empowered by wearing the burqa, and it's completely subjective. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I think brands kind of have jumped on that hype. Yeah. Because brands are all about making women feel quote-unquote good about themselves whilst also making them feel shit about themselves for not looking or acting a particular way. Yeah. So, yeah. I but that's the kind of classic thing that you see on those, like, kind of images, don't you? Feel empowerment. Yeah, completely. Um, okay, next question. Why does feminist debate so often get shut down in everyday discussions? So, again, we've commented on it with the eye rolling. Mm-hmm. And it's that reaction that I think sums it up in that tiny little eye movement, mm-hmm. um, why it's often gets shut down. So, Sarah Ahmed, who is one of my, again, icons, <laughs> especially in academic terms, she's a feminist scholar, political writer. She writes a lot about emotions, um, which is kind of what my PhD is about. Um, I'm so excited. And she has the most incredible... I don't know what the word is. She comes up with these figures and she's come up with the figure of the feminist killjoy. Um, Okay, can you go into that? Yeah, so the feminist killjoy is a feminist who is seen for ruining the mood, being a spoil sport and kind of ruining everything when they point out moments of oppression. It can be as simple as an eye roll or it can be someone getting so angry that you've kind of ruined this that was kind of a really nice conversation that had sexist or racist undertones or something like that. Ah, okay. Um, So basically what the killjoy does is they disrupt the status quo and that makes people defensive. Um, And I think we've all been in this position where we had that position of the feminist killjoy. Someone's both been saying we're a feminist or Mm -hmm. saying, that's a bit sexist or that's not funny or why do you do that? Mm -hmm. Um, And people can get really defensive about it. And I think why we get shut down so often is because women are expected to go along with it, be happy, be smiley, accommodate for everyone's needs, yeah. laugh at these awful jokes that we're hearing. Yes. And then when we when we take up this position and refuse to go along with it, we're seen as the enemy and we're seen as the one that's ruined everything, even though they're the ones that are being sexist. Yeah, because it's easier to just laugh and smile than yeah. it is to perhaps start a little contentious debate that Definitely. people don't want to talk about. And I think that... Um, 
Greta Thunberg is such an amazing example of a feminist killjoy and there's a reason why she's riling up so many middle class men and it's because she's refusing to smile and she's refusing to say she's refusing to make it easier for people yeah like palatable yeah she's refusing to be palatable because that's not what she's like and she's saying why would I smile about climate disaster and what I'm talking about is so serious and if if she just smiled it would make it so much easier for people to handle but she's just saying no I'm not I'm not going to conform to your way of being I'm not going to smile for you but I find that so inspiring yeah she's only 16 or something she's ridiculous who are her parents I know who raised her I just think she's just amazing and I think that's such a statement just to not smile yeah. Um, because we're you know we're told all the time to smile by random men on oh. the street yeah. <laughs> and in many different situations so I think I think that's why it's shut down so often it's just a difficult conversation that people don't want to have yeah especially, especially when you're with like your family or your friends yeah or colleagues yeah it's almost like you're putting too much of yourself in it and like as soon as you start raising these things people get defensive yeah because it makes them have to self-reflect and they often don't want to do that yeah Ahmed talks about like how most of her feminist revelations were kind of had at the dinner table with her family being like I can't sit and listen to this anymore really yeah I think we all had our own version of that it'd be very interesting to just see those conversations visually played out (laughs) I'd say a lot of interesting (laughs) debate I'm sure (laughs) So, what was the Me Too movement and how are its after effects felt in society today? Well, the original, this is another really great example about the erasure of black women, because the original Me Too movement, the Me Too hashtag came up, was come up with actually 10 years ago by an African-American woman. Really? Yes, an activist called Tarena Burke, um, to bring together victims of sexual assault. Right. But what it is most commonly known for is that it began in 2017 and that caused a kind of viral global movement. Sure. Um, when the hashtag started being used by really high-profile act- actresses in response to the Harvey Weinstein scandal. Right. And his horrific sexual abuse of literally hundreds of women in Hollywood. There's a lot of Guardian articles about it. If you want to read the specifics, it's honestly horrifying. And so many people would have known and hidden um, these stories for so long. It's so disgusting. So how does the Me Too movement feed into feminism today i think it's so interesting because its effects have really been massive like we people say all the time we're living in a post me too era yeah which is such a big thing to say it's literally (laughs) saying that it's changed the whole way that we see everything and i think in some ways that's really true but i think it's had a really big social and cultural impact as in it's obviously shown that survivors of sexual assault are not alone and that there's people that believe them and that there's people that are listening. Mm-hmm. And that's been really important. And I think for the feminist movement in particular, it's basically saying, like, we're not going to let you get away with this anymore. Yeah. I think that's the big message that it's saying. That doesn't just necessarily mean sexual assault. That we're not going to let you get away with talking down to me. Yeah, objectifying, uh, yeah, objectifying us in any way. And it's just kind of not funny anymore and it's not going to happen anymore. I think that's the kind of overall power behind behind it. I haven't read it yet, but the She Said book, have you seen about that? It's like the two journalists that like wrote the story. So Jodie Cantor and Megan Tuhey. Wow. And it looks so good. Like basically like how they broke the story and how they managed to get all these actresses to come forward. How I can't wait to read it. Wow, I really want to know that. Yeah. <laughs> let's do, let's talk about that on the next one. Yeah, it'd be so good. 
But then also I think, I don't think that the influence of Me Too should be emphasised that much if you actually look about the material conditions that we're living in now. Like, Donald Trump is president who is an openly proud sexual abuser who brags about grabbing women by the pussy and he's still our pres- the president. Yeah. Um, Brett Kavanaugh, that horrible trial. Oh, that was so horrible. Um, the Brooke Turner trial. Oh. Got six months for horrific sexual assault. And Harvey Weinstein turned up, turned up at a event for young actresses with a huge entourage. I thought he was meant to be in prison. Yeah, no. He's back on the Hollywood scene already. Wait, hold fire a second, please. I thought he was in jail. No. I thought he was serving He's a... too rich and famous to be in jail. So, I thought I thought he was meant to be in... No. What? Um, Has he not been trial, like convicted? I don't know. I think he's honestly just too rich for them to do anything. <laughs> And basically, all of these young women went on stage and were basically like, how dare you turn up here? And the young women got booed off stage and shouted abuse at and had to leave. And he stayed there. So, like, it makes you think how much has actually changed. That is absolutely fucking disgraceful. Sorry if my grandma's listening to this. But also, you would agree, that is absolutely vile. That's made my blood boil. Yeah. It is awful. So, it makes you think, like, I think there's been a big social and kind of cultural ideological shift but in terms of the material consequences for these men I think not much has changed that's so frustrating yeah so finally again hashtag girl gang sisterhood all of Mm -hmm. those terms um what what is the sisterhood and you know what does that authentically mean um and how has it been used uh in sort of the everyday that we see around us yeah so I think there's a way in which the idea of a sisterhood is incredibly powerful powerful palpable <laughs> and quite undeniable um and I think it's that moment where we me too was a real I think it really created that sense of sisterhood and community because you felt it so viscerally as a woman how this would have felt for those women coming forward about that yeah and it was kind of a universal feeling that I think as women we get in our gut, like physically feel mm-hmm. um, connected to one another. And it's it's through that shared lived experience. I think that's where the sisterhood, the idea of a sisterhood comes from. And my PhD is really about the idea of feelings and emotions mm-hmm. as being what gives feminism its edge. So I think the reason why the feminist movement is so powerful is because of feelings and emotions because we feel things so deeply and rawly we see we see the violence and we feel the violence yeah like in our core more than the selfish reckless patriarchal society does so we're much more able to call out these instances of injustice and violence yeah because of how much we feel as women and do you think that is because of just consistent catcall after catcall um just that general numbing feeling yeah it's just like every time just chipping away at you like don't tell me to smile don't don't tell me that I look sexy don't don't make me feel threatened on the street do you think that type of uh I don't do you think that that type of it becomes a boiling pot I think it becomes a boiling pot of like this is again me paraphrasing Audrey Lord she talks about how every woman has like a boiling pot of kind of anger and rage within them that something can just spark it at any moment and you just erupt and there's certain moments cultural moments like the me too movement where women just erupted yeah and there's certain moments in feminist performance that i am studying that where you just 
erupt and where these moments of numbness suddenly you become unnumbed and you realize oh my god there's all these other women that feel exactly the same way as me yeah. and that our lived experiences are actually much more universal than we think so I think that's why the idea of sisterhood is so powerful I think that also there is a privilege to the idea of a sisterhood because it is based in a kind of western white um framework of things mm-hmm. um and it's kind of not correct to say that all female feel things in the exact same way. Yeah. But I think as a kind of concept, it is a really power. It can be a really powerful one. I think that's just really summarised question time for today. <laughs> um, loving the sisterhood. So just to kind of summarise, I think I've learned that intersectionality is so much more than what meets the eye. And thank you so much for coming on Educate. Thank you so much for inviting me. Did you I enjoy it? I'm classified as an expert. She is an expert. Reason. She's my mm. resident expert in pretty much everything. <laughs> Socially. Uh, Politically. Yeah. Honestly, environmentally. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much. Thank you. See you later. Bye.